the Magic Book Club podcast. Hello, I'm Richard Allenson and welcome to the Magic Book Club. This week, a European Space Agency astronaut. He finished his 186-day Principia mission. I think that's how you say Principia. He was working on the International Space Station for Expedition No. 4647 and he landed back on Earth on June the 18th, 2016. Yes, he is Tim Peake. It was 20 years ago the International Space Station launched, well, the first bit of it. Uh, Colonel Tim Peake is with us. There is, <laughs> there is so much interest around your visit to Magic today, Tim. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Have you got used to this yet? Uh, it always takes me by surprise. I'm always delighted about the amount of interest in space, though. I know, you know, that's fantastic, uh, and uh, I love talking about it, and I love it when people are asking me questions. But, uh, no, it's a, it's a bit unusual... There's the sort of uh, the fact that you get recognised in the street. I'm not used to that. Mate, you're a star. That's that's how it works. Um, does your life now feel a little less ordinary these days to what you you were used to? It does. I mean, uh, you can you know that experience of going into space is is just with you forever. But I see it as a, a magnificent thing to be able to draw upon. And and when I'm talking to people about it, I'm always just imagining myself back in space. So your your life is never the same after you've been in space for sure. Okay, so uh, Tim Peake and the European Space Agency, the reason we are here is the Astronaut Selection Test Book. Uh, Do you have what it takes for space? And you say that this is the manual you wish you'd been given when you applied to be an astronaut. Yes, when, you know... When the space agency have a selection process, and for the European Space Agency, it's not that often. It had been over 10 years, and uh, it's very difficult to find any information about it. What are the space agencies looking for? What kind of type of person do you have to be? What are the tests going to be like? Um, Am I going to measure up? And so if I'd had the opportunity to read something like this beforehand, it would have stood me in good stead for sure. So the book really follows the selection process that I went through along with you know, 8,000 odd other people, and also talks about the training as well. How do you train for a mission to space? So this, so the application was a step into the dark to start with? It was indeed, yes, yeah. And, and then I, I was learning more and more about the space industry just going through the selection process. Okay, what I want to do um, to our listener or podcastee, I want to see if you have what it takes. There's a bunch of tests and they're all categorised and as Tim says, you know, once you well, presumably if you get all these right, you can knock on NASA's door. Uh, yes, well, absolutely. If you get them, if you get them all right, it certainly means Tim sent me. It, it means that you, you know, you you, you stand you in good stead. And, and uh, the this this puzzle book is is great because you can kind of dip in and dip out, and it gives you a feel of what's going to be asked of you, what the space agency is looking for, and what okay. they require. Yeah. Well, we tried this with some colleagues earlier on, and some people were hilariously inept at it. it uh, this is test one in the spatial awareness test series. So, um, if you're listening to this and you fancy yourself as an astronaut. See how you get on. Um, I'll leave this one with you for a moment. Imagine you're facing a cube, yeah? The cube can roll to the left, to the right, forwards, that's towards you, or backwards, which is away from you. And there is a dot on the bottom of the cube. So, the first task, in your mind, you ro- bear in mind the dot is on the bottom of the cube, okay? Roll the cube forward, then left, left again, forward, Right, backwards, and right again. Where is the dot now? I'll leave that with you, and I'll come back for part two in just a tick. So, Tim Peake, when did you first get the space bug? 
I had the space bike as a young child. I think you know so many boys and girls do, uh, uh, and I love that. And and but for me, that kind of grew into passion for flying. And so uh, I joined the Army Air Corps uh, as soon as I left school and had a brilliant eighteen-year career flying helicopters. Part of that, towards the end of my career, was as a test pilot, and, and that's when I realised that actually I've got the skills and the qualifications now to take this one step further and to to actually be an astronaut. And the, when the European Space Agency had their selection process, it really was a matter of the right time in the right place with the right qualifications. So you have to have most of the um, astronauts, and they're not all astronauts on the space station, are they? Some of them are scientists and some of them are researchers. And, but do they all have to have some sort of flying experience? Yes, we, we, we're all astronauts, but we all come from different backgrounds. I mean, in the, the astronaut corps, my colleagues, some of them are medical doctors, some uh, engineers, scientists, some airline pilots. So we've got school teachers become astronauts. So from a whole plethora of different backgrounds, uh, it's useful to have flying experience. So even if, if you take somebody who's just been a, a pure scientist, then we will put them through their basic qualification, get them a private pilot's license, get them used to the flying environment. Flying teaches you things about you know communication skills and also it puts you in an operational environment where uh, things have consequences you know you have to be competent uh, you have to understand emergency drills for example and those are all skills that are very relevant on board the space station so what's the point of the space station point of the space station is a laboratory, a scientific laboratory. It's, it's twofold, really. It is partly is, is just exploration, the human desire to, you know, our innate desire to explore and to push boundaries. But uh, actually, the space station is a functioning laboratory. There are things we can do on the space station that you simply cannot do here on Earth. And on Earth, everything has developed, life has developed on, on this planet in a 1G environment, so Earth's gravity 1G. And if you change a parameter, and we scientists have been changing parameters for years, you know, pressure or temperature or humidity, whatever it is you want to tinker with, you're going to get strange and exciting results. Well, gravity is no exception. When you remove gravity, you get strange and exciting results. And so that's why the, the ISS is a great scientific laboratory. So what have we learned so far? Because there's, there's, there's a hint of it here. Mm. But I mean, what have we learned so far? And on the 20th anniversary of the International Space Station, um, there's the, uh, facts and figures yeah. in abundance. But what have we learned? How are we better off? So we've learned a huge amount about the human body because the human body rapidly tries to adapt to being the perfect space being. So as soon as we go into space, all of the body fluid shifts up around our heart. We become puffy face, so our body gets rid of that. Um, our eyesight changes, our immune system changes, our cardiovascular system adjusts, our bone density reduces, our muscles atrophy, uh, our skin even changes. And this is a fascinating environment for science scientists to take, you know, fit and healthy people and observe what these are really all linked to the ageing process, observe this happening in a period of a couple of months. And then when we come back to Earth, the reverse happens. We go back to adapting to being, you know, good human beings for living on planet Earth. So as we go through these changes, we can understand more about the human body and how it works. We're developing, um, you know, uh, uh, new drugs for osteoporosis, for example, because we learn an awful lot about bone demineralisation. And also, uh, we can grow pure crystals in space. Now, this is very exciting for disease-causing proteins. If you can grow a pure crystal, you can create a much better drug, fewer side effects, better results. So uh, things like motor neurone disease, Parkinson's disease, Huntington's disease, we've got all of these proteins growing on board the space station. 
So you take a fit and healthy astronaut and you basically comprehensively watch him deteriorate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, but then watch, <laughs> and then you build them back up when they get back. You know, we we do make sure that our astronauts get put back in shape when they get returned to Earth. Right. I wonder how we're doing on the spatial awareness test because if 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 part one, um, you if if in part one with the dot on the cube, you reckon at the end of all those movements, the dot is at the bottom where you're one step closer to an aircraft or a spacecraft. Uh, there's a second part to this question. Imagine the same cube with the dot on the bottom. Roll the cube forward, right, right again, forward, left, backwards, keep up, and finally left. Where's the dot now? Come back to you in a bit. Um, how long does spacecraft last? Because it's just rolling around and there's no atmosphere. So no yeah, the International Space Station said it's, it's been up there 20 years now. So mm. uh, it's remarkable. And, and you think, uh, yes, it's just going around, there's no drag. Uh, or there's very, very little drag. There's tiny bits of atmospheric drag, but very, very little. Um, but every time it orbits the Earth, it gets exposed to the heat of the, the sun and then the cold of space. So it's going through rapid thermal cycles. Uh, an hour and a half, it orbits the Earth. Yeah. Um, so it still has to be designed to withstand stand that. And it has to have good structural integrity as well. For You know, it's getting bigger and bigger so when spacecraft dock to it they'll impart you know structural uh, forces on it but something like the Soyuz spacecraft that we travel to and from the space station that has to undergo the rigor of launch and re-entry mm. so our Soyuz spacecraft we uh, certify them for uh, about 200 days in space before we come back because it, and it's built and it was designed probably at least 30 years ago yes so uh, before carbon fiber and modern elements so what the next one, presumably, could be the next generation of space station when this one does Absolutely. finish off its and, life. And, and the great thing about the International Space Station is it's continually evolving. It's grown, you know, since the early days. I mean, it took 10 years to actually build it, but it, we've never really stopped building. We're constantly flying new technology up there. We're, it's a test bed for cutting-edge technology. We're even flying new modules. For example, when I was up there, we docked this thing called the Bigelow Expandable Module. Now, this is a concept where you actually inflate a module using the air pressure from the space station. So we bolted this Bigelow module on and expanded it, blew it up like a big balloon, really, um, into a space. But that's a great concept for potential future design. We've also got um, commercial companies now involved. So, again, uh, SpaceX Dragon um, cargo vehicle, for example, came, came on board. And next year, we're looking at both SpaceX and Boeing providing brand new spacecraft to take crews to the space station. So it's constantly evolving. But you're right. Um, you know, some of the elements of the space station are really old technology. And... You, you say blow it up with air. There's a, there's a finite supply of the breathable stuff up there. Because you, you, you did the 26.2 London Marathon. Uh-huh, yes. I mean, what were the other guys thinking? You're using up all the oxygen, pal. <laughs> you must have stank at the end of it. it was, well, we, we exercise for two hours every day anyway, so I think we all get used to the smell. Um, but we recycle as much as possible. So, um, for example, we, we'll use uh, electrolysis of water to create oxygen on board the space station. We breathe out CO2, and we even use that CO2, uh, and we create more oxygen from it. So we're constantly recycling everything to the extent that we recycle about 89% of our urine goes back into the next day's drinking water. So uh, we don't have to replenish the space station that often, but we can always fly up you know, an oxygen canister if we need to. So they say the takeoff is the most nerve-jangling mm. part of it. How about when you come back to Earth and you're all oh, my legs? And, you know, <laughs> did yeah. the Earth smell different? 
it, 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 it did smell different. It, it's just wonderful to kind of smell those earthly smells after being in space for six months. Um, I actually think that the, the re-entry is, is uh, sort of more dynamic, it's more aggressive than the launch. The launch is relatively smooth in comparison. But when the parachute opens you know, uh, on re-entry, it's very, very violent manoeuvre. So you're actually, you know, you're thankful to get back to Earth in one piece. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's great to be able to uh, sort of feel the, feel the senses and smells of Earth again. Right, if you're thinking of becoming an astronaut and you've had a crack at the spatial awareness test with the dot on the bottom of the cube, if, after all that motion, uh, the dot is still at the bottom of the cube, you are correct. You can knock on NASA's door and maybe... <laughs> Try to convince them. Um, what does that view afford? Uh, online and on social media, you were mm. tweeting lots of photos which were just stunning. And um, I don't know what lenses you've got up there, guys, but fantastic images yeah. that you're taking. But um, I brought in today a book given to me by Buzz Aldrin on the 20th anniversary of the moon landing. So that book was out in 1989, which is probably when they were thinking about this International Space Station because nine years later they launched it. Mm. Um, it's been up there 20 years the, the whole tone of Buzz's book is one of being intrepid and exploration and trying things out. Lots of experimentation going on. The whole tone of your experience is, we've taken that for granted now, we're now doing what we always wanted to do up there. And it, it's, I'm not saying it's routine, but we're much more savvy when mm. it comes to what's going on outside our planet. Yes, and the interesting thing is that we're we're just approaching the era now where we're shifting a little bit more towards you know Buzz's era of exploration again. We've had twenty years of ISS operation. We said we've got used to the fact that crews have some crews have spent a year living and working on board the space station. Um, it's never easy getting into space. You know, we we had a Soyuz launch failure just a few weeks ago. It reminds us that it's still you know a difficult challenge to do. But um, as we look to the future, we're now building a new space station that's going to be in orbit around the moon and that will be launching in the early 20s it's going to take a few years to construct it but the launches will start in the early 20s um, and so that's going to be fascinating seeing us break out of low earth orbit again and start to uh, inhabit a space station in deep space around a lunar orbit then lunar surface operations are planned again uh, for habitation so we have permanent habitation modules on the on the surface of the moon uh, of the moon so i think that in the in the late 20s early 30s it's going to become routine to see astronauts disappearing for six months off to have a, an extended stay on the moon and it will be experimental we're not in the stage of actually colonizing the moon yet no again this is where i come back to you know buzz's era of experimentation and exploration is is starting again but we're doing this now in a different environment because there are more players uh, it's a very international environment much more so than it was in the early sort of mercury yeah. gemini apollo era and in addition to not just the in the government space agencies we're doing this with commercial companies i mentioned spacex already supplying cargo boeing providing a crew next year um these commercial companies are really increasing the pace of development and uh, it's bringing some fascinating uh, insights. Well, you've obviously got Elon Musk on board and you've obviously got Jeff Bezos from Amazon on mm. board, so they must have been the kids watching Buzz. Yes, and, you know, yeah. and, and kids these days are watching you and, and, and thinking, yes, that's what I want to do. Can I just say to the conspiracy theorists... 
because when I mentioned that I was going to be talking to you at some stage, so please don't believe all this. Uh, if you look up every hour and a half, you can see the International Space Station. Uh, where if you go to Buzz Aldrin, and he's an old man now, and you say you never walked on the moon, yes, he will punch you like he punched that bloke in America. So please don't trouble us with your false theories. Uh, Tim Peake and the European Space Agency, the astronaut selection text test book. There's no guarantee that you're going to walk on the moon if you pass all the tests in this, is there? Unfortunately not, but it stands you in good stead for going for space. And the one thing you do... Have you met Buzz? I have, yes. The one thing that uh, astronauts, and you're only the second astronaut I've met, but the one thing you do have in common with possibly the world judo champion who was like six foot four and could probably kill somebody with a twinkling of an eye, um, there is this aura of calm. And I don't know whether that's the individual, I don't know whether that's the training, I don't know whether that's the experience that you've enjoyed, mm. but... There is an aura of calm about you that, yeah, I can deal with that. It's, I, I think that's part of the selection process is, is picking the right people for the job and, and certainly you need to stay calm in, in difficult situations. Yeah. If you spend too much time in front of TVs and in cinemas, you'd think that maybe it's a bit more gung-ho than that, but it's not, is it? Not at all. Tim, it's been an inordinate pleasure. Thank you very much. Sort of Congratulations and good luck. Thank you. Tim Peake, a very calm and humble man. Great to spend time in his company. Uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast once again. Don't forget, please rate us. 10 out of 10 or lots of ticks and smiley faces is good on whatever proprietary app you are using. Thank you. Thank you.